Tonight you can be seated. Just a few little uh, items here this morning, or this evening, sorry. Uh, it's good to see Brother and Sister Winkler with us here, passing through from up north in Nevada and on their way back to Arizona. <laughs> and what a privilege and honor for you to stop in and be in service with us. These are great, great folks. Love them very much. Give them a hand clap of appreciation for showing up to church. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. I, I was a little surprised during prayer. An individual stepped up, felt the presence, and uh, turned over and looked at Chuck Roundy. Brother Chuck, where are you? You're here somewhere. Praise God. God bless you, Brother Roundy. It's good to see you in the house of God tonight. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. God is doing great, great things. Praise God. Are you thankful for God's goodness and God's greatness? Amen. Praise God. I'm very, very thankful for what God is doing among us and through us. There have been a lot of guests of lately, and I'm, I'm believing that that is going to continue to happen. And I appreciate everybody recognizing that, reaching out to guests and making sure that they feel welcome in the house of God and then praying with them when they come to this front. Amen. For God to do something in their life. Last uh, Sunday, the Sunday before last, not this past Sunday, but there was a car that pulled up in the driveway. Brother Josiah Winkler just happened to be right there and thought that they were going to ask for money. They were asking for prayer because uh, her mother, this couple, her mother was in the hospital and so they weren't asking for a handout. They were asking for somebody to pray with them. Amen. They were here Sunday night, this past Sunday night, and they came to the front and we had an opportunity to pray with them and I believe that God's going to continue to do things in their life. Things like these are happening. I want to be responsive and open to those things. Amen. And I want God to use us in the midst of those things. That's exciting. Praise God. Come to find out, he has some Spanish apostolic background in Lamont. His wife has no connection or association. But they were in the house of God. So who knows what God is going to do in their life. And we're, we're still believing that God's going to do great things. And everybody said amen. Praise God. Let's stand together in the house of God. James chapter 1 and verse number 22. James chapter 1, verse number 22. A very short passage of scripture. We're going to be looking at James chapter 1, verses 22 through 27. And our topic tonight is hearing and doing. Hearing and doing. In James chapter 1, verse 22, this is the end of chapter 1. We've been working our way through this chapter. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Lord, we thank you and praise you and know that your word is powerful, brings a strength to us and anointing to us. And we ask that you would direct us tonight. Amen. Let your word be an encouragement and a strength to us in Jesus' name. We pray. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. I spent a lot of time as a teenager in the 80s in a grocery store grocery stores in the 80s late at night cleaning tile floors 
My family opened a business in Minot, North Dakota, and we started at the Red Owl grocery store, and then we eventually built the business onto the military base at the BX, and then we were able to get a contract with three grocery stores in Minot, North Dakota, and the name of those grocery stores were, was Piggly Wiggly. What a great name for a grocery store. And they're still out there. I was traveling in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, still saw some Piggly Wiggly, so they're still out there. So we would go to work. Uh, this was during my teen years. My mother, my mother sacrificed a lot uh, for us. She was a single mom, and so she was making ends meet. And at the same time, I was working at the same time as a high school student, and I was working to uh, make the payment on my private education, which was uh, a little over $100 a month, and it was at a small school that had kindergarten through high school. There were about 23 students. So I would work at night from the time of 10.30 to 4.30, and then I would sleep a few hours, get up and go to school, and repeat that process uh, over and over, every single night of the week from 10.30 or from, yeah, 10.30 to 4.30, we would clean these grocery stores. And at that time, there was nobody in the grocery stores except for all the boxers, and they would be stocking things. And so they had the music playing just about every night. And back in those days, we didn't have newfangled ear cancellation, stuff like that that you could put in your ears to block all of that out. So during the 80s, uh, mainly it was a coercive thing, I became very acquainted with a lot of music, a lot of different varieties. Every single night, whether you wanted it or not, uh, there's nobody in the store, and so the boom boxes would be booming, playing a lot of stuff I didn't want to hear. But there were a few uh, songs that, that stuck in my mind, or phrases that stuck in my mind, and there was one that was particular, and I think I'm going to use this as illustration here tonight in this passage of scripture by James, because it's kind of trying to pinpoint the same thing in a little different way that James is doing, and it was a ballad that was written in 1988. It was released in the United Kingdom and the United States, and it was a chart hit around the world. It topped the U.S. Billboard chart March the 25th, 1989. It reached number one in Australia, Canada, and Ireland, and number two in the U.K. It spent four weeks at the number one position on the U.S. Billboard adult contemporary chart. And it addressed in the song a son's regret over unresolved conflict with his now deceased father. It won the Ivor Novello Award for Best Song Musically and Lyrically in 1989. It was nominated for four Grammy Awards in 1990, including Record and Song of the Year. It was the best performance by a group with vocals, the best um, video in that particular year. And the famed composer, Bart Bacharop, opined that the song was one of the finest lyrics of the last 10 years. And the name of the song was The Living Years 
by Mike and the Mechanics. In 2004, the Living Years was awarded a 4 million air citation by the BMI, which means that it has been played over 4 million times on radio. And there was a phrase in that particular song that stuck out to me, always caught my attention, and I'm using this song as an illustration by way of introduction, and I'm going to read to you the lyrics because it's actually a very fantastic song. Every generation blames the one before, and all of their frustrations come beating on your door. I know that I'm a prisoner to all my father held so dear. I know that I'm hostage to all his hopes and fears. I just wish I could have told him in the living years. Oh, crumpled bits of paper filled with imperfect thought, stilted conversations, I'm afraid that's all we've got. You say you just don't see it. He says it's perfect sense. You just can't get agreement in this present tense. We all talk a different language, talking in defense. Say it loud, say it clear. You can listen as well as you hear. It's too late when we die to admit we don't see eye to eye. So we open up a quarrel between the present and the past. We only sacrifice the future. It's the bitterness that lasts. So don't yield to the fortunes you sometimes see as fate. It may have a new perspective on a different day. And if you don't give up and don't give in, you may just be okay. I wasn't there that morning when my father passed away. I didn't get to tell him all the things I had to say. I think I caught his spirit later that same year. I'm sure I heard his echo in my baby's newborn tears. I just wish I could have told him in the living years. Say it loud, say it clear. You can listen as well as you hear. It's too late when we die to admit we don't see eye to eye. And the phrase that stuck into my mind whenever I would hear the song is, you can listen as well as you hear. And this is a key phrase that notes a distinction between hearing and listening. Because you can hear and not listen. It'd be something that goes in, but there's not an active engagement to really spend any time to focus on what is being said. This happens a lot of times in parenting. Happens a lot of times in relationships. You just listened to me for five minutes and you haven't heard one thing that I've said. Is that right? And then you say, what did you say? We can hear, but... We don't necessarily listen. There is a definite distinction between the two things. Listening requires some action. Listening is active. It is a, it's a skill to be able to actively listen and not just hear. And James, in this passage of Scripture here, is delving much beyond a popular ballad and a song the same distinction except for instead of hearing and listening, he targets hearing and doing. That you can hear some things, but if you connect what you're hearing to what you are doing, there is a problem with that. 
And this becomes a great pastoral problem in the idea of James as he's speaking in verse number 22 when he says, Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. James spells out in verses 22 through 27 what he means in verse number 21 when he talks about the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. He says that engrafted word that is planted in your soul is supposed to have an active agent that is not something that you only hear, but it's something that you put into action. Ladies and gentlemen, I would present to you Martin Luther didn't like James. He called it straw and, and stubble. He wanted to boot it out of the cannon. He didn't like it at all because he felt like it was too connected to works. But what he missed there and what is the gospel in James, you cannot disconnect the engrafted word or the salvation that comes to you through the word of God without there being some action in response to it. And so our religious world wants to sever the connection. Praise God. And so when everybody, when anybody says you need to repent of your sins, you need to be baptized in Jesus' name and there will be the infilling of the Holy Ghost, they will say that's works. You don't need that. You just need to confess the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. James is saying because the Word is so powerful and because the grace of God reaches so strongly to us, it requires an action on our part to say I appreciate what God is doing in my life and I'm going to follow through with what God has extended to me in His mercy. That's not works. That's a response to the gospel. James said you can't just hear, but you need to be a doer of the word. The word is truly not received until it is put into practice. This is not to say that James would think that hearing the word is not necessary or important. That would be a fatal misunderstanding to think that James is against listening to the word. But what James strenuously opposes is any hearing of the word that does not lead to doing. There's got to be an absorption of the word of God. And then it's got to produce an action that flows out of it. And for James, if there's a disconnect between those two, there's a deception. You could come to the house of God and listen to the word of God and not be changed. You could follow rules and traditions and not be changed. The word of God should be an active agent in your life that changes you from the inside to the outside. Don't ever get into a place in which you come to church just out of tradition. Church shouldn't just be tradition. It should be a lifestyle of faith and understanding of God's grace and God's mercy and his power. And it should activate you to be used of God. Hallelujah. Praise God. So he is strenuously opposed to any hearing of the word that does not lead to doing. Paul reflects on this when he talked about the superior power of the Holy Ghost. In Romans chapter 2 and verse number 13, Paul said to his, his uh, readers, for not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. 
He was creating a juxtaposition between the old covenant and the law and the new covenant and the power of the Holy Ghost. Paul was saying the old covenant and the law would tell you where you were wrong. And he said the supremacy of the new covenant is the Holy Ghost will put in your heart what is in the law and it will give you the power to live out your life in faith. And so he was saying there's a supremacy to the new covenant and the doers of the law are the ones that shall be justified, not just the hearers. Jesus made a statement in Luke chapter 11 and verse number 27. It's, it's a rather profound uh, occurrence that takes place. It came to pass as he spake these things, Luke chapter 11, verse 27, a certain woman of the company lifted up her voice. She was there in the crowd, and so she stood up. People were kind of speaking out, and then Jesus was teaching, and she stood up, and she said, Blessed is the womb that bare thee, and the paps which thou hast sucked. And Jesus said, yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. That's more important. Her statement kind of comes out of nowhere and kind of jars you. And Jesus would say, it's not that that's important. But what is important are those that are blessed when they hear the word of God and keep it. That's what's important. And so James is building on a tradition that has already been established. Jesus preached was filled with overwhelming, amazing wonder of God's sovereign grace as it reached down to sinful individuals. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. But equally prominent in Jesus' teaching was a radical obedience, an obedience that is the necessary human response to God's grace. I want to preach to you tonight and tell you you will respond to the amount of grace that God extended to you. Praise God. You want to know why some of us worship the way that we worship? Because God has brought us from a mighty, mighty long way. If God hasn't brought you very far, you probably won't worship very hard. But if God brought you a long, long way, ha, you're going to praise him based on the same measure of grace that pulled you out of the miry clay and gave you an opportunity to lift your hands in the sanctuary and say, if it had not been for the Lord, where would I be? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Clap your hands unto the Lord. Where would I be if not for his grace? Praise God. Both factors. God's initiative to reach us and the grateful response of humanity are part and parcel of the gospel. They are connected. You, you cannot sever that. There is a connection. God's great grace and a response to God's great grace. That is a new birth experience. That is the gospel. Go ahead and say that's of works if you want. But I found in the New Testament that everybody that recognized that God really, really reached out to me, they responded in a new birth experience. It's the only saving message that you can find in the New Testament. Someone said, well, what about 
What about if you believe and, and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and, and all of that that's in Romans? Those Romans had already been baptized, repented of their sins, and received the gift of the Holy Ghost. So whatever was said to them was built upon the foundation of a new birth experience. you got to go to Acts chapter 2 to build the foundation before you can understand the Romans 10 passage of Scripture. They were... Born again, new birth experience, tongue talking, godly living. Early church believing that Jesus is God. Woo! Praise God. Trevor, did you hear that? Trevor, can you give us a... Ooh. Woo! All right, buddy. Praise God. Amen. Those that fail to do the word and are hearers only are guilty of a dangerous and potentially fatal self-delusion. James said this individual that hears only but does not do is deceiving themselves. This is a fatal self-delusion. If the gospel by nature contains saving power and a summons to obedience, those who relate only to one have not fully and truly embraced the gospel. Man, I'm telling you what, I believe we're going to have a revival of great things. I'm excited about it. One thing that I am a little disappointed in, there's a lot of people that come to church because they love what they feel, and they're excited because the Holy Ghost moves, but it never is activated, and it never changes their life. James said this is a self-delusion. Praise God. We got to keep preaching. We got to keep preaching. There's a power that can be felt on a Sunday night and on a Tuesday night. I felt the Holy Ghost in this place. But if there's not an activation to change some things in your life, you are self-deluded. You're wandering around in self-delusion. There's a disconnect. You need to let God change some things. Praise God. Give up some control and say, God, I've tried to do it on my own. It doesn't work. And so I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to put things in your hand. I'm going to believe in you. Amen. Praise God. You're deceiving yourselves if there's not an, an activated change in your life. Whether you regularly attend church, whether you do Bible studies, read the Bible, if your listening is not accompanied by obedience, the true situation before God is far, far different. Praise God. I'm not speaking down to anybody. I'm preaching conviction. Praise God. If you've got some things in your life that need to change, you need to change it. It's much better to change things now than self-destruction later. Can I get a witness here? Praise God. I'm thankful that judgment begins in the house of God. Hallelujah. Praise God. You know what? I might even need some things changed in my life tonight. I'll be, I'll be willing to tell you that. Paul said, I die daily. It's a matter of making sure that my spiritual life is managed because I can't go through the motions. I won't go through the motions. That's a miserable place. That's a facade. That's a hypocrisy. God mold me and shape me and fashion me to be what you want me to be. Well, we're running. We're running here tonight. Nudge your neighbor and tell them, be a doer, 
not just a hearer. So James said, I, I'm going to give you a simile, a simile or a comparison. James chapter 1, verse 23 through 25. If you have that, we'll read those verses together. James chapter 1, verse 23, for if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. James is pointing out there's some that forget and there's some that continue or there's some that persevere. Some forget and some persevere. This is an obvious emphasis that he is making on these, these two points. And he's illustrating the superficial and temporary effect to the word if a person hears only. The only lasting benefit that they will get is like looking at themselves in a mirror while taking care of their face or their hair or whatever and then going their way and forgetting what manner of person that they were. Where a doer remains or continues or perseveres and he is saying that they continue in the word. They contemplate the word and they are a doer of the word and that person is commended in their actions because there's a continuing impact of the word of God on their life. He shall be blessed, blessed, blessed. I want to be a blessed individual. Praise God. Amen. I believe that God brings blessings to those that believe in his word and do his word. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God would actually bless somebody based upon his word? Praise God. I want to be a blessed individual. I want God to open doors for me. I want him to bring counsel and wisdom to me. Praise God. I want to be blessed of the Lord. Are there any blessed folks in this house here tonight? Amen. Praise God. Thank God for his blessings. I want to be blessed, and so I don't want to forget. I want to continue or to persevere. And he says in this passage an interesting phrase. He said an individual that is looking into the perfect law of liberty. The perfect law of liberty. What does that mean? That means that the perfect law of liberty, this is what I believe the interpretation is. Some say that James was more connected because he stayed in Jerusalem and Paul and the missionary journeys outside to the Gentiles and the council that was met in Acts chapter number 15 when there was a discussion about how there was going to be an integration between the Jews and the Gentiles, how that was all going to work out. James was primarily based in Jerusalem, and so he had more of a Jewish reception of the early church where Paul was reaching out and had more of a Gentile understanding. And so some say that James was more uh, catering more to the, the understanding or perception of the law. And here he says the perfect law of liberty, which tells me that James was on the same page 
as everybody else in the New Testament because he recognized the perfect law of liberty is the gospel because the gospel brings infusion into a person's life where there is power and empowerment that the law never brought nor could it ever give. It only pointed out where you were wrong and where you didn't measure up. But the perfect law of liberty, the gospel, includes the empowerment of the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost gives you the ability to live above sin and the domination of sin. You say, well, I'm struggling. I don't know what the problem is. Well, I'll tell you this right here, right now, the problem is not the Holy Ghost because the Holy Ghost is everything that you need to make you a perfect, mature individual in the gospel. It's not the Holy Ghost. It has to be, the problem has to be me. It can't be in the power of the Holy Ghost because the scripture said, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. There's an infusion of God's ability that gives you the confidence to say, I am more than an overcomer. If I'm not measuring up, I need more of the Holy Ghost. If I'm not making it, I need a renewing in the Holy Ghost. If I'm struggling, I need the power of the Holy Ghost because it's the Holy Ghost that is going to sustain me. Praise God, Brother Tim Clevenger. Can you say amen? Praise God. Praise God. He's standing up back there. That's why I said that. The perfect law of liberty. Jesus pointed this out in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill. There's a gr- <laughs> there is one that is greater than the law. And he has come to fulfill the law. So whatever the law had, it was pointing to Jesus. Amen. Praise God. And the fulfillment of all of that law was found in Jesus. There is one that is greater than Moses, John would say. There's one that is greater than Elijah, John would say. There's there's one that's greater than Nehemiah. There's, There's one that is greater than Zechariah. There's one that is greater than... Isaiah, there is one that is greater than Elijah. Do you get, are you getting the point? There's one that is greater than Elisha. Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. (laughs) And so the one, there's one that's greater than Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. The one that is greater is Jesus. Everything is wrapped up in who? Jesus. He fulfills everything. Everything you're looking for is in Jesus. Jeremiah said this, this law that is going to happen in Jesus, chapter 31 and verse 31, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. This is prophetic. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. Amen. He's talking. What's he talking about? He's talking about James. Perfect law of liberty. That seems somewhat of a contradiction. The perfect law of liberty. Law and liberty don't seem to go together. 
But James said the perfect law of liberty that's in Jesus is something that is powerful and it, it, it brings us to a state of obedience, but it opens up a whole nother world that we never knew about. I want to say this emphatically. Living for God is not a drudgery. Come on. I'm ready to fight here tonight. Living for God is not something that is dull and boring and a drudgery because I'm doing something that they're doing out. I can't do what they're doing out there. They're having all the fun and here I am stuck living for God. Well, you can have that mentality because I know that what they're doing out there only brings destruction and addiction and dysfunction and they may have fun for a season but it's not really fun when deception steps in and the Pied Piper takes you for everything that you're worth but when you're living for God, God says, I'll bring you joy unspeakable and full of glory. I'll give you I'll give you peace that passes understanding. I'll give you life and life more abundantly. Living for God's a celebration. Living for God is a Holy Ghost party. for God brings purpose. Living for God brings destiny. Praise God. I'm not about to commit suicide because God has brought me and connected me into a greater purpose and destiny. Suicide is for a world of destitution and loneliness and pain and suffering that is of the devil. But the Holy Ghost brings a healing and an encouragement and a strength and an anointing. Praise God. And a bigger picture. I just want to say this right here. If you've been experiencing suicidal tendencies, that is of the devil and it is not of God. I am not minimizing anybody's emotional state, whether it's depression, anxiety, stress, or any of that. But I am saying this. The Holy Ghost is more powerful than your thoughts and your emotions and whatever you're going through. I'm here to tell you there is a God that saved you. There is a God that put his stamp and his name on you. You mean everything to him. He can use you. Don't let the lie of the enemy try to trick you into thinking that it's not worth it. It's worth everything. Hallelujah, this world needs you. Your family needs you. Your kids need you. Your grandchildren need you. Your job needs you. Your school needs you.
We need to pray right now and rebuke that spirit off of somebody's spirit. I don't even know why I'm going here, but I feel it tonight. Come on, by the authority and power that is vested in me, by the anointing of Jesus, I bind every spirit that would try to control and conflict and confuse a child of God when they are heirs and sons and daughters. I feel the anointing coming on. I feel liberty and freedom and strength coming on. I feel led of the Holy Ghost here. I feel bold in this place. You may be embarrassed about what I'm getting ready to, to say and do, and it's not insignificant. We need to root that out tonight. If you have felt... Suicidal tendencies. You need to step out of the chair where you're sitting and walk up to this front and let the devil know I mean business. I'm a child of the king. I don't care what anybody thinks. God bless you, sis. Come on, church, these people had the guts enough to say, God, I mean business tonight. We're going to pray with them, and we're going to pray for them all over the sanctuary. God knows.
knows where you are. God knows what you've been feeling. God knows what you're facing. But God is greater than all of those things. So with uplifted hands, Come on, with uplifted hands, I surrender every one of those thoughts to you, God. 